Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. This is the Truth to Power Show, hosted by yours truly, Vijay R. Nathan, and this is Radio Free Brooklyn. Truth to Power Show places a weekly guest on the proverbial meditation cushion to engage in a thoughtful conversation at the intersection of the personal and the political. In today's episode, the fifth episode, we'll be welcoming Maria Dessa Ekretale, who is a poet who has uh, who bears witness to the uh, experience of being a black American woman in uh, America today, her experience of being a mother, and um, how she connects with their community and the community of her generation, how she speaks to their experiences and our experiences as human beings. So stay tuned and we'll uh, get into the conversation now. Thank you. Tali, the author of Dear Continuum, Letters to a Poet Crafting Liberation, which uh, Split This Rock named the spectacular book of 2015, Commerce Footprints, uh, published by Flipby Publishing. She serves as the uh, poetry editor of African Voices from 2013 to 2017. So uh, we're here to discuss, uh, we'll start off with the reading and then we'll uh, have a conversation. So go ahead. Okay, cool. Thanks so much for having me, Vijay. I'm going to read from Karma's Footsteps, my first book. Um, I'm reading the first poem in the book, which is for Nina Simone, and it's called Her Voice. Bowl of crushed blueberries, knife edge, cracked calabash, heavy truth, ancient wine and renegade bones, rise up. Rise up, white wings of doves, tapestry of nerve, daughter of well-aimed lightning. Blinded compromise, nail-like tongue, bitter root, burnt honey, tornado blackness. Bent-backed women walked up her throat, flew straight arrow from her mouth. Mississippi, Gullah, baptism, the Nile, Congo, belly of slave ships, Harlem. Potent cocktail of her pitch, black notes. Divined riots on piano keys, exiled and passion and turbulent ritual. She was that sound in the racing heart of thunder. And I'll read something for somebody else who makes music. Um, This is going to be in the next book, which is called Strut. Um, This is a poem that I wrote for Jimi Hendrix. Like music is a, you know a daily occurrence in my life. So this is called We Still Don't Know for Jimi Hendrix. Who was that hoodoo wrapped in turquoise and scripture? That priest of earthquakes conjuring white buffaloes through amplified oracle whales. Fire. Tuned ears heard flames. The volcano rained down. Batons and dogs rained down. Fire hoses and bullets rained down. Freedom. The shaman was indigo, was blues man, was raven, was watching, watching. 
composing mantras of aloe and steel? Who was that whisperer wrapped in rainbows and sand? Genius, genie, Jimmy. Thank you, thank you. So why don't we start the conversation with just talking a little bit about your background and biography, where you born and where did you live most of your life? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm born and raised in Queens. Oh, um, excellent. Yeah, excellent. man. Yeah. <laughs> a Queens girl. I was um, born in Left Rack City, right? Uh-huh. I mean, born and raised there, Left Rack City. Um, I was born in Memorial Booth Hospital, right? That's like right yeah. over there, Booth Memorial Hospital. That's the name of it. So, yeah, I went to school in Queens um, up until high school. High school, I went into Manhattan, to Manhattan Center for Science and Math. And after that, I went to Alabama, Atlanta, California, um, lived in Holland for a while, um, did some work in in, um, London for a while, lived in Belgium, worked in Namibia, and then came right back home to Queens. Uh, So after you finished your degree, uh, your undergraduate degree, I guess you started getting jobs around, or what was the impetus to move? Well, you know what? After... um, after I graduated from Clark Atlanta University, and then mm-hmm. I came back home to Queens, right? Okay. And I actually worked in television, uh-huh. right? I worked in television for like almost a year. And I was like, no, yeah. I'm not going to be doing this. You know, if I had wanted to work in TV, it would have been a great gig, but yeah. um, no. So then I really started devoting my time and my energy to poetry. And so it started there. Uh, what, did, what, previously, did you? What was your undergraduate degree in, or would you radio, study? TV, and radio, film. TV? Okay, so you're going yeah. along lines of radio and TV, and then you started to. But I was uh, doing poetry there too. Oh, you doing poetry? Okay. Yeah. I, I knew I wanted to be a writer from 16. Oh, okay, great. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the influences you had? Like, what were some of the, the people that influenced you that brought you along that path, or writers, or or authors, or anything? And is there anything you remember that really stood out? That oh, definitely really pushed you along. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I mean, this path. I always say, for me, it started reading the um, autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Right? Is yeah. not poetry. Yeah. But what it did was it it just it opened up a whole other way of viewing myself and mm-hmm. viewing the world around me. Right? It it just gave me a strength and and in a, in a way that I hadn't had. And so reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, led me to start reading anything about Malcolm X, which led me to find all this black arts movement poetry, mm-hmm. right? So that is reading black arts movement poets, um, you know, like Sonia Sanchez, Nikki Giovanni, um, Amiri Baraka. But at that time, it was like really Nikki Giovanni, um, if I remember right. Like I have to get back in my 16-year-old mm-hmm. head yeah. to think like what was it that was, you know. And then I, I went backwards then to, to like the Harlem Renaissance and then Langston Hughes and then forward again, because Alice Walker and Gloria Naylor were really, um, their work was, was on television and in movies. And so, um, yeah, reading their work, um, really, I decided when I read Alice Walker, like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's, it's the black arts movement, it's Alice Walker, it's Langston Hughes, it's like this whole, all these amazing writers who were doing their thing. So they pulled me into it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So you started finding your voice in writing poetry. Um, had you studied poetry or did you study did you do MFA or had you studied poetry? Or? I studied poetry like the old school way. You know, yeah. I have an MFA, but it's in <coughs> fiction. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So I studied poetry by reading poetry, by hanging out with poets, by listening to the elders. You know, yeah. um, I had a, a, a mentor 
Tony Medina, um, who would just tell me about things to read and tell me, oh, this reading is going on. Why don't you go there? And then you go there, and it's like Luis Reyes Rivera is there, you know, um, like the cultural workers. He w- he would he was showing me what that looked like, like to not just be a poet, but to be somebody who was um, active, somebody who cared about social justice, right? Mm. Which was why I got into writing in the first place. It wasn't just to be, you know, like on a scene. Because yeah. I, I, I never, honestly, I didn't even know performance was part of being a, a writer. I was, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't. That wasn't something that I was really interested in. What I was yeah. interested in was putting words on a page that could affect people the way that the autobiography of Malcolm X affected me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fast forward, I'm seeing, I'm going, I'm part of this, this thing happening in New York, you know, in Brooklyn and, and just, which was amazing. Um, and then I worked with African Voices, um, Carolyn Butts. She was just so open to having new writers and like providing space for us to 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 do journalism and you know get your chops and she also used to have a lot of poetry readings mm-hmm. so you know it was it was an amazing scene it's so great to hear that you know the the uh, movement kind of inspired you to find your voice find your connection to the community and then uh push that moving forward and yeah i saw I saw a lot of the video of people um connecting with your work with their experience and i also connected with your work a lot i looked over your work on your website and such and uh i think it's very powerful for the human experience as well so in in general i mean i think it's really great and um so now at at the point that you're at now um where you started writing and you started uh working with the african voices tell us a little bit more about that experience a little bit more about how where you're at now and how it's transitioning wow Well, it's interesting because I worked with African Voices for a long time and kind of did a lot of different things, you know, um, a volunteer, then contributing writer, then senior writer, then nothing because I have children. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of disappeared completely from the scene. And then I also was teaching. Right. So I went to Namibia for some time. Um, I, I got married in Namibia. Mm-hmm. Um, we started a family. Dominique and I did. So, you know, life, it became this whole other thing. Poetry was not and writing was not the center of it. Um, and then it came back. Uh, it, it 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 I don't even know, like how to explain how it came back the way it did. But it started being writing about motherhood. That's what I started out mm-hmm. doing. Like I have, I have a booklet that I put together um, called Mother Nature, and it's, you know, it's available for free. It was about mm-hmm. taking care of yourself when you're when you're pregnant and when you have children. And so writing itself never left. It was more like the what I was writing about and where I was sharing it changed. Perhaps a re-envisioning period where you had to kind of transition yourself from where you were at as a person then, and then kind of connect to what your human experience is with that at that point of being a mother and being uh, being part of family. Exactly. It's, yeah. a per- it's well put, exactly. Mm. So it's like whatever whatever um, I was going through, yes, would, would be reflected in the writing. Yeah. But getting back to writing, right, is, is different when you have a family. So mm. I'd be writing when everybody else was sleeping. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that, that could be until the wee hours, you know, yeah. and which is kind of weird because then you have to get up early the next morning anyway. Yeah. Um, but I was doing that, not not necessarily out of some, some discipline. You know how some people say, I set the alarm clock, I do this. No, it was more like a drive. Yeah. It was more like, okay, everybody's going, let me do this. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not, exactly, like exactly. I never, yeah. I'm never the one to say, well, this is how you got to approach it. You got to yeah. do this. But 
that I was driven like that. It's an organic process, I guess. Yeah. Yes. No, yes, it was yes, organic. Yeah. And then um, I started studying herbs and herbalism. And then I was writing about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started blogging about that. My husband really encouraged me like, hey, you know, you, you might want to share what it is that you're you're learning and what you're doing with herbs on, on a blog. So the writing came back again. You, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and then Cheryl Boyce Taylor, who's an amazing poet um, and just human being. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a new book called Arrival. And she, she's been so important in my life. I met her in the 90s and she 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 somehow pulled me back in. She said, Oh, you know, she told me about thirty thirty. I, I think that might have been how it how it started. I don't know what what the hell was thirty thirty. You know, uh-huh. but for those who don't know, thirty thirty is when you write thirty poems in thirty days during the month of April, oh, right? Yeah. And so yeah. she said to me, "Do you want to do thirty thirty? Okay, Cheryl, I'll do thirty thirty. Yeah. You know, so I do that, and suddenly, right, you're writing again. Yeah. It wasn't any good, but I was writing. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that just getting practice. Getting, uh, also, following you. Let's go circle back to the uh, the herbalism a little bit. Just talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at what point did you start getting interested in herbalism? And you were saying, uh, if you just clarify the timeline, and then also a little bit more about kind of your experience with that and such. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so I got interested. I always was interested in herbs and herbalism. I had these books around, but after having my second daughter in 2007, I'm like, well, when did I have that child? Yeah. Um, in 2007, <laughs> yeah. um, we, we were living in New York and I really wanted the possibilities to, if, if anything, you know, like when you get a cold, a lot of times a kid gets a cold and you're, you're running to the doctor. Uh-huh. Now, that's not always necessary. There are certain times when it is necessary, yeah. right, to take the child to the doctor. We know that. But there are other times when it's like, well, how would I, do I want to treat the kid with antibiotics all the time when something's yeah. coming up? What do I want to do? You know, how do I want? And so I, I went to an herbal class with Robin Rose Bennett. Mm-hmm. And that herbal class, yeah. she in that one class just she she so much shifted, you know. She talked about plants being our teachers, and I was like, "What? Yeah, you know, like this is this is radical." You know, mm-hmm. to me, it was amazing. And so um, she has an apprenticeship program, mm-hmm. and. I, I became a part of the apprenticeship program. She actually invited me to become a part of the apprenticeship program, and it was amazing because I had fallen head over heels for her, her way of teaching, um, what she was sharing, just everything about it, and becoming part of the apprenticeship program. Wow. Mm. Right, so we're meeting, we were meeting every week for three years, talking about different plants, making teas, going on herbal walks, like doing research as well Mm -hmm. um, into these plants. And so that was life altering. Right. So that so that went on from 2007 to 2010, approximately. And then somewhere around there, somewhere in there, the poetry came back. Right. Mm -hmm. The motherhood book got written like a lot of different. And and then um, Karma's Footsteps came out right Mm -hmm. so in 2011 so you know it just all started coming together Uh uh-huh um and a lot of people have helped me you know when we're talking it just yeah robin robin helped to open up something you know Uh Mm uh-huh so uh i know your blog you blogged for a little while and that's not did you do some 
consulting with uh, with people or was it just something that you learned on your own for mm-hmm. your own pleasure or your own instruction? It was it was more for my family. That's mm-hmm. really why I learned it. And then the funny thing, I ended up doing classes. Yeah. So um, through the Queens Council on the Arts too, I ended up doing these free classes um, right at the African Poetry Theater, another mm-hmm. amazing space where you know. Baba Branch, John Watusi Branch, who passed away um, a few years ago, he opened the space to me to do the work there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was teaching these classes. So while I I didn't feel comfortable, like, giving people consultations or charging people for that, because this is, this knowledge is... It's powerful, you know, and in in the right hands. Like I tend to say, hey, if you got a serious, you you got to go talk to Robin, yeah. or you got to talk to Sister Tyoma Allison. You got to talk to somebody who's been doing this a long time. Yeah. Now, if you've got a cold or you know a fever, or if your baby has that, I can tell you what to do like that. Yeah. That's not a problem. Um, if you got a cough, I can probably tell you what. You know, I can suggest things. I can yeah. suggest a lot of things. Um. So after this period, you you worked on Karma's Footsteps. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and how that uh, transitioned into that book? Uh, You were saying after after this period, you started working on that book. You just kind of transitioned into uh, what that book was about or how the themes of that book. That's not the mother book, right? The, The mother book was the... Mother Nature, yeah, Mother which nature. you don't, which you don't, yeah. we don't even have on the table, right? Oh, yeah. I know it, yeah. it's kind of like sometimes I forget, yeah. I forget about that, which uh-huh. is strange. You know what I'm saying? I forget yeah. about that maybe because it's not literary, but it yeah. was such an important part of my my. I probably should put that in my bio and stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's very important, I think, for mothers to be able to connect with their experience and have someone who speaks true. to that. That's, so that's true. Very good, yeah. No, that's true. Yeah, I yeah. I think. Yeah, I think I'm going to yeah. change that just yeah. because I don't know what it is in my head if there's a hierarchy of, oh yeah, right? This is fiction, this is nonfiction, this is literature, this is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so Karma's Footsteps, all right, the funny thing about Karma's Footsteps, it was accepted for publication in tw- 2005. Okay. Uh-huh. And it took published. six years, right, for us to actually kind of sit down and when I say sit down understand I my editor and my publisher are in London right so there's no sitting down right but it took for us to like gather and make the book happen it took six years so that six years of me having two children moving continents um moving moving from from Europe to North America right um not being involved in poetry at all. Mm. And then somehow, I don't know, maybe it was around 2009, we started actually really editing this book. And I worked with Jacob Sam LaRose, who's an amazing poet and editor. And so we edited this. And then next thing you know, it was here. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, you know, like one minute. It's basically, it's like one minute you don't, you're not on, you're not anywhere. Let me put it to you like that. Mm -hmm. One minute you're not anywhere necessarily, right? Like, keep in mind, I was not running around doing a lot of readings, right? I mean, really, I was teaching. I was doing these herbal classes. I was in the house. I was doing some poetry things, but not a lot. You know what Mm. I mean? And then the next thing you know, there's a book. Yeah. So I mean that's that's pretty interesting. That's pretty good. So tell us a little bit about the themes of the book then. Uh, so what was the book? What are the themes of the book? So the major. I would say the, the m- I would say it's, it's 
the major themes are, are like racism, sexual assault and violence against women, survival, mm-hmm. love. The big stuff, yeah. It's really great, yeah. Yeah, it's an yeah, intense it's book. Intense, it, yeah. yeah, no, it's an intense yeah. book. I think that it, it's... I, I look at it like the book that if I never got to put out another book again, these mm-hmm. are the things I felt I had to say. Yeah. You know, especially having two daughters. It was like I have to say these things. Yeah. Um, and that's that's why the book is so intense. It's also very short. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's just a short book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's Karma's footsteps. It's you know, it's this weird thing where you go, Maybe I'll, maybe another book won't happen. So what do I have to say? Yeah. You know. So that's that's what this book is. Okay. So yeah, so it tackles some themes of uh race as well as gender. Yes. Like you were saying, yeah. So uh can you talk a little bit about kind of how you uh synthesize, you know, your experience as a African American woman or a black woman in uh, there. and how in there and just in general in your life, like how you communicate how you feel you communicate that experience through the writing. We heard a little bit of your writing, but of course, uh you know some commentary on some of the poems you read, you um and just kinda give some general yeah, it's you know, I guess I it, it's a, it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's very connected I, to your writing, but uh, at the same time, being a mother, being a woman, being African American is very connected. But at the same time, it's so organic. I think that we kind of like for me, you know, my ethnicity it plays in, in a very organic way. But yeah, uh, it's you don't like, construct you know, it. You just like just like think about it. You're very much in it. Yes, but um, uh, maybe how you've connected with readers. Uh, and how they've expressed their their connection with it through that experience. So. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, it just it just comes through, right? Like yeah. I like the way you put it because I'm yeah. like it's not even a conscious thing, right? Uh-huh, I don't yeah. sit down and say now what I'm gonna do yeah. is discuss gender, race, and yeah. you know, like that's a, I think that's a different type of writing. Uh-huh. But it's like a lot of times the work is bearing witness. So that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's James Baldwin, right? Yeah. That's not I didn't I didn't yeah. come up with that. That's yeah. James Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> but but the work is is bearing witness, and so what I see through my eyes, it's it's of course those, right? Those yeah. those 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 things. It's mm. it's the, the experience of a mother. It's the experience of someone who's black. It's the experience of someone living through a woman's body. Right, uh-huh. all of those things. So, I mean, it's funny though because what I've found more recently is that I'm going to share a poem with you in the second half. Uh Um, I wrote a poem about giving birth and my body being completely different than it was before. Now to me, I I have that poem. I think there's a a poem for a a woman's poem. I see no way that I think men are going to connect with the poem and it's neither here nor there. Now, the amazing moment for me was when a man, a white man said to me, I really connected with that poem. What? How? <laughs> you know, and he said because he remembered being in graduate school and like being the bomb, you know, like it was all about him and his ideas and his thoughts and then coming out and being nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which a similar experience like you have this body. This body is looked at a certain way and then it changes. And it's not the same body that it was before, mm. but learning to love and accept the body that you have. And he's himself learning to move in the world in this different way. You know, I'm no longer a grad student. I'm no longer the thing, right? Now, how do I learn to move with what it is I have? 
that for me was like, oh my gosh. And you know how people tell you, I don't know if they tell you this, but you know, people people say this stupid stuff about how you what you write should be universal. Oh yeah. It's yeah. like what the you know, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. Universal. You know, like if I talk about my experience, who I am and if you're human, mm. you'll connect to it. You I know what I'm saying? Like why do I connect to Robert Frost? Yeah. I agree with that very hundred percent. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I connect to to writers who are Basho and Issa. How uh-huh, they're yeah. writing about their experience, yeah. right? It's very honest, very true, true to their experience, the human truth. You know, yeah, we're all human beings. We all have that connection. Yeah, exactly. But if you know, if Basho and Issa are writing haiku about about snails, <laughs> I connect to it too because yeah. it's beautiful. It's specific. It's detailed. It's you know what I'm saying. They're yeah. pulling me into a moment. If that's what you do, then. How do I not connect? And the other thing is, too, I don't have to relate to your experience, right? I don't have to have had your experience. The thing is that when you write a certain thing, I start seeing things through your eyes. Mm. And that's another powerful thing. Um, That was an experience at another another school I had, again, with a a young white male. He, I read poems, and he said um, that the training he had in the military about sexual assault and the training that he had later about racism, he said all of it fell flat. The poems that he heard that day helped him to understand these issues, Mm. period, point blank. And that says something to me about the transcendence of our art, right? And the ability to like, to to create a connection, you know what I'm saying? Empathy Mm. even, right? So suddenly you might care about the ways that other folks are being treated and you might realize there is no other folk when the poetry does its work. Yeah, exactly. Who's other? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that what we have here is like connection with our truth and being able to understand that expand our own understanding of ourselves. Sometimes we have a limiting narrative. That's right. We think of ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm male, for, for me, at least I'm male, and therefore I have to conform to certain attributes of being male, uh, this kind of thing. And then when you read a poem from someone w- with another background, another gender, another background, it's like it expands your own ability to perceive your own experience That's even. Right. And you're able to see yourself as a human being. Yep. So I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. And that was so well put, too. You're Thank such you. a poet. Thank yes. You. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come right back, uh, and then we'll continue. We'll have a reading, and we'll continue the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. To sponsor this show, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com backslash Truth to Power, or you can donate to Radio Free Brooklyn and go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com backslash donate. We're a nonprofit that uh, is supported by listeners like you. And uh, if you'd like to be a guest on Truth to Power, you can write into Truth to Power Show at gmail.com. And now we're going to feature a song by the Dust Engineers called Leaves. You can follow them on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash the Dust Engineers. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Oh 
So this is letter 10 from um, my second book called Dear Continuum, Letters to a Poet Crafting Liberation. Dear Continuum, I hope this letter finds you in great health and spirits. Today I was walking home with three bags of groceries after spending much of the day washing dishes, checking my daughter's homework, and doing other things that hold no excitement. And I thought suddenly that you should know this. Maybe you already do know it, but as I walked down Jamaica Avenue carrying shrimp and oatmeal and broccoli and apples, I thought, I should share this with you because it's not the stuff that makes it on Facebook. The day-in, day-out routines we're all familiar with aren't part of our social media feed. Maybe we go to social media for something out of the ordinary. And it certainly is great to log on and read about friends' new experiences and projects and see pictures of folks looking fabulous on stages across the world. But what gets us to those experiences is what goes missing from most of our timelines. The anxiety before a reading. Creating draft after draft of a poem. The long and deadening waits between publications. The sadness and guilt at having to miss your child's performance because of your touring schedule. The wondering where the rent will come from. The endless waits in clinics because they have a sliding scale and are willing to see uninsured people. These are generally not the things we put on social media. And yet just about every artist I know well has gone through some of this at some point or another. One friend got tired of having holes in his shoes, so he put his paintbrushes down, got himself a job teaching at a middle school, and never looked back. Others left their art for real estate, social work, or law. And who can blame them? Living in a constant lack of certainty is tough on the spirit. Many folks find ways to balance jobs, often in academia, and their writing careers. But balance might not be the most appropriate word. Juggling is more like it. And no matter how we do it, there are those moments, I know I've had them, those moments when I'm tired of swimming against the tide and I want to give up. Those are the moments I don't post on Twitter. So when I was walking home with those grocery bags, I thought about what my writing life might look like to you. You see my name in a masthead or a table of contents. You see pictures of me reading poems, smiling, laughing, hugging other writers. But I share these things precisely because they are the fruits of not giving up. And my goodness, those other writers and I are holding each other so tightly because we have gone through this journey together and we are still here. We are smiling because in spite of all the rejection, nervousness, loneliness, and longing, we still carry joy and words and possibility in us. We are smiling because we can still smile, despite living in a space that barely acknowledges our humanity, and let alone our art. It is all the unseen weeks, months, and years of work that create what you see on social media and in the literary magazines. Those moments are definitely as magical as they seem, in part because they are evidence of our survival. And I mean that in every way possible. So when you see those pictures of us glowing, 
Just remember the hidden hours that led to them. Here's hoping that your hidden hours bear fruit. One, Mariah Dessa. And the next piece I'll share with you is from an upcoming book called Strut. Uh, Strut is coming out in spring of 2018. And this is the title poem. Strut. After birthing twins, my friend whittled herself back to hourglass. She describes the black sand, her turquoise bikini, pride, seeing herself strut again. I will never wear one again, I say. Then show. The pot. The loose skin. The lightning bolts. The rain streaks across my belly. I wear the turbulent body of a stranger, sharp, soft until the hill of broken muscle announcing life beyond my life. I thank my bones, my broken muscles. I thank the woman I was and the woman I am. Slowly, I learn to strut again. Thanks so much. And we're here with, uh, we're back with uh, Maria Desacretale. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about the, these poems and about the themes. I, I noticed in the first poem you had that you just read, um, you had such a great connection with the, the communities and, and people in, of your generation, very similar to, you know, just recall to mind something like Howl or something like that, where they have like, you know, a, a connection between the writer and all communities are generations of people who are experiencing similar conditions, you know, that we're all kind of in the social media age and we're all kind of trying to vie ourselves with uh, our, the way that we portray ourselves and mm-hmm. the way that we look at ourselves. And, um, you know, if you could talk a little bit more about kind of the process of writing that poem or writing these poems. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. That's, I've, that's never been, um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I have never yeah. in life been compared to Allen Ginsberg. Yeah. <laughs> No, in themes or anything. So I really appreciate that. But yeah, this is very much speaking to, um, this is speaking to generations of, of, of mm-hmm. folks. Um, the book is called Dear Continuum, mm-hmm. right? And we talked earlier about seeing myself and perhaps ourselves as yeah. continuums in a longer line of folks who have been working for liberation, yeah. right? Um, in In various ways. And so what I saw when I came back out on the poetry, in the poetry space, let's say, right? Um, I don't want to call it a scene, but I saw that things had shifted really dramatically. Like people were really talking about the programs they'd gone to for their MFAs. Like that was the thing, you know what I'm Mm. saying? When I was learning poetry, learning how to be a poet, let's put it like that. Nobody would ever talk about like a degree. Like what, what is that? You know? And what I saw was people who had themes that were blatantly about social justice. They were kind of, they were getting pushed to the side, Mm. right? Um, For writing that might still have social justice themes, but they're done in a, in a subtler, a subtler way, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so 
I felt like I have no idea what this is that I'm looking at. And so I wrote one letter, one letter to Continuum, Mm -hmm. basically saying, like, if you think that you're going to write poetry about social justice and survive out here, these are some of the tools that you're going to need. Right. And so that was the one letter I wrote. Um, That letter ended up getting published on um, the Vita website. Um, And so it had a lot of people responded to it. Rosebud Ben-Oni was responsible for that poem getting published there. And there was a lot of response to it. So, okay, cool. You know, people are feeling like I'm feeling, Mm. you know. Um, So I moved on from that. But I ended up writing a whole bunch more letters Mm -hmm. because... I had a talk in Texas at a school, um, Tammy U, right? It's like Texas, I I, I have to look and tell you what it is, but it's Mm -hmm. international. It's the international um, university, and it's Texas A&M International University, Mm -hmm. right? So I was reading there. um, They have a series called Voices in the Monte, and so I went out there to Laredo, Texas, and I met the most amazing people. That's all in the introduction of this book. I mean, amazing, amazing, amazing people. Mm. And I read letters. Like, I wrote one letter, but then I was like, I got to come up with more stuff to talk to them about. Because mm. I'm supposed to, this was it, I was supposed to do a craft talk. Right. And the craft talk was supposed to be like two hours. <laughs> like, that's suicide. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. Yeah. So I was like, what am I going to do that's going to be interesting? Yeah for two hours and so basically i ended up writing more letters like i'm making the story shorter than it is but that's the i ended up writing more letters expanding on it should be the same kind of thematic of writing a letter but extending more of them yeah yep so i wrote two more let's say let's say i wrote two more three more and i wrote them while i was in texas Uh right after i met the students like i was sweating over these letters like i met students and i was like those are the students i'm writing letters for yeah so i had like four letters to present to them and i interspersed them with poetry and a lot of conversation oh good but the students were fascinated by the idea of continuum because i called the person continuum yeah. They were really interested in it. So they asked me a lot of questions about this continuum. And then in the end, a young woman named Margaret Rose Medellin said to me, will you write more of those letters and make a book out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but that's an interesting idea, you know. And so this book came mm-hmm. because of that visit to that school and because of that suggestion from that young woman. Yeah, it's Kid. amazing how these things happen and how you connect the readers. They're able to continue your progress and inspire you as well. Yeah, it's really great. It's outrageous. And I yeah. think, too, the thing is understanding that it was, they were read. So this was like, a, I'm, I'm thinking about performance a lot mm-hmm. these days, right? Yeah. And so they were read letters, you know. Um, and so there was something about the dialogue that took place as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And... and yeah, otherwise they would have never seen those letters. How would they have, most likely? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's 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 questionable that they would have gone on the Vita website and seen that first letter. Yeah. And had I written subsequent letters, it's questionable that they would have gone on whatever literary, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Right, they weren't writing so students. It's all, sometimes it's all about the timing and about 
finding the right connections, the right people, and all those kind of things inspire you and to make things happen. So it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And being open to like the different ways. This is for me. It's like been this revelation. Being open to the different ways words can get to people. Yeah. You know. So That's anyway, great. that ended up being a whole book, and they're reading lists in it. It's it's basically it's like a curriculum. Yeah. That's what it's like. That's great. Mm-hmm. So now you're the book that's coming up next year. You said, and yeah. then uh, it's Stride, and uh, it's also continuing similar themes of the the book uh, example poem, or is that uh, the title poem? Yeah, that's the title poem. Um, yeah, it is similar themes. Mm-hmm. It's definitely similar themes, yeah. and it's a yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. a it's a really different type of book um, uh-huh. than the other two, right? There's there's I tend to think there are funny things in it. I tend to think there's quite a bit of humor in it, um, even if it's kind of sarcastic type humor, um, yeah. blues type humor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which, what you know, you laugh to keep from crying sometimes, that type of, right? That type of thing. Um, there's definitely more sensuality in it. Um, I think that's important. Um, I've been thinking also about, like, you know, I would say the first book, there's definitely, it's it's a, womanist book you know a book that's in the the black feminist thought type framework Mm -hmm. and this book is is definitely that it's also thinking about the roles of pleasure the role of love the role of romance and then it's dealing with hard issues as well too you know it's also dealing with slavery it's also dealing with ancestry Mm. but it's also dealing with mental illness it's dealing with all these different things Mm. all parts of the human experience as far as like all parts of our history and all parts of our our collective experiences exactly exactly it's important to deal with those issues and take them tackle them and show your perspective it's true truth yeah it's true yeah living your truth but it's also dealing very much with the body yeah right like you see this poem it this this deals with the body Uh uh-huh so it's it's a lot about self-acceptance i would say and resilience you know that lens of grounding in your in your lived experience as well as uh, the lived experience of our communities. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's it's all those things. It's all those things. So I yeah. mean, it's a it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty exciting book. Actually, I'm looking forward to it. It's different. Yeah. It's different for me, even. Yeah. You know? Good. Good. Yeah. I kind of I'm looking forward to like having some huge party where we're all just <laughs> like you know, I don't know, dancing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Really, I I think of it as being a like we've survived. We're surviving this mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. we're, we're living and we're strutting even it through it. Yeah. You know, even if it, if it, you know, if it started out being a limp, we turned it into a strut. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And you mean this mess? You mean just life in general? You mean are you referring to like specifically like the the current p- political atmosphere? Everything. Everything. Yeah. I think everything. You yeah. know, if there's anything I've learned, it's that it's you know again with this poem, you might think one thing, and then you see uh-huh. someone else thinks. Yeah, but I could relate to it because of this experience. Somebody else could relate because of another experience, you yeah. know. And yes, yeah, some of this, it, it it'll be interesting to see how these things resonate with everything that's going on. But yeah. I mean, but the things are ultimately is is about joy and about yeah. loving who we are. That's what ultimately the book is about. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. We call the show Truth to Power Show mm. because I want to get into the intersection of the personal and the political. And mm. we kind of touched a little bit on that mm-hmm. with how living our truths and, and just being who we are expresses that to our reading public and how right. and allowing us to bear witness to our lived experiences. Um, what about any, any uh, has there been any 
anything ways in which you've tackled you know more difficult areas and like people uh kind of i don't know like responding to it negative way or anything like that or has always been has always been a positive or yeah i mean if if it's it's interesting i mean the response is either it you know one way you can respond to something is to ignore it yeah yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes even more difficult than when people engage with it. You yeah. Know? No, that's yeah. actually that's that's difficult. Yeah. Um when people you think might get something out of a thing, mm-hmm. ignore it. Yeah. I think honestly that's 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 incredibly difficult. So, if anything, I mean, my antidote to that is to just keep working. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um keep going, keep going. But one of the things cuz we we touched on like we touched on herbalism and we talked about these books. Yeah. I have a book coming out. If everything goes well, I should have two books coming out in September um, 2018 is the second one, um, which would be the fourth one. Woo woo. Yeah. But it's a children's so, book. Uh huh. And so one of the things that's become more and more important to me is talking to young folks, emerging folks, but, but young people. And children's literature is critical. Like, there are things that that I can talk to college students about. They're in college. They're in this space. A lot of them are still open. You know, I learn a lot Mm -hmm. from college students. A lot. Like, when we talk about social media, when I'm active on social media, they're the ones I follow. Like, young people, they're the ones I follow... And really keep an eye on because they keep me on the pulse of what's happening, what's important. But there's a certain, there's a certain place where people get to where they're not open anymore. You know what I mean? They're not willing to change. Yeah. But with children, with little children, you don't have that. Yeah. And so I see children's literature. If we want to work for change, if we want to work for social change, I see that as being a space to really do some work. Yeah. Like I see it as a critical space. And so I'm really excited about this children's book that's coming out. Um, and it's a young black girl who's the, the main character. It's mm-hmm. called Layla's Happiness Book. Layla's Book of Happiness, actually. Um, and Enchanted Lion Press is doing it. And I'm just excited to be able to make a dent there. And this came up because my children, you know, 12 years ago, I was looking for books that where mm-hmm. the characters look like them. Mm-hmm. Where were those? Ca- you know, you go to Barnes & Noble when that Barnes & Noble was open yeah. in Forest Hills. Forest Hills, yeah. You could barely find a little black girl or black boy as the main character in a picture mm. book. Yeah. It's outrageous. Yeah, publishing industry. Has, uh, we, uh, we, we had a conversation at the, another writer last week's episode. Where we were talking about multiculturalism and, and the publishing industry and how that's really a problem, really an issue. And, you know, publishers just, you know, aren't interested for whatever reasons in expanding their uh, vocabulary in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have to kind of, on the ground level, kind of, create this content and push for it you know we absolutely have to because it's one thing if i'm reading poems you know to to somewhat sophisticated audiences you know whatever right Mm -hmm. it's another thing if you are talking to little babies who haven't 
they don't have prejudices formed in their minds yet. Yeah. So when I go someplace where, you know, there there's maybe one black child in the classroom, I've had that experience, you know, no black teachers um, at all, hardly mm-hmm. any black folks in the community. And I come in and I read from this manuscript, like what happens is beautiful. The children are just open. We have yeah. a good time. We talk. But, you know, that's going to stay in their heads. Yeah, it gives impression on their continuum, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it yeah. does. It does, yeah. for sure. Those little yeah. babies, chances are... Yeah. They're not going to grow up and join the KKK if yeah. they remember. Yeah, a causative experience, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So, you know, so I see that as being a really, really important space for, for those of us concerned with, 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 with where we are. Yeah. You know, um, children's literature. Yeah, exactly. The next frontier. <laughs> yeah, actually, I worked as a children's librarian for a long time uh, in the Queen's Library, uh, and then I worked with doing mm. story times. I always make sure that we had, you know, a diverse uh, array, array of experiences in the books I read. And I know as as a as a, someone who has worked with this level, that's so important. And so important. I know Queens Library and, and many of the libraries have started initiated even drag queen story times where they have like chances yes. for, you know, drag queens and people of uh, identifying can come and read stories. To is very theatrical. You yeah. know, I think that's a great way to kind of. Uh, add that theatricity as well as the understanding of that d- gender identification. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I saw yeah. that in one, I don't know what what um, store or what, what library it was, but I yeah. saw it and I was and like, And the Brooklyn Library beautiful. is doing it now, I think. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful and it's yeah. necessary. Like, yeah. the, really, the books have a way of, of, of touching folks. And if we, the younger we can get to people mm-hmm. with the message, I mean, the message is really simple. It's about love. Yeah. Like if you strip away everything that we're talking about and you go all the way down to the bare essentials, yeah, it's about love. It's about loving ourselves, right? It's about loving our communities. It's about loving beyond the and, and it's about telling people why don't you love yourself enough to respect me? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like what is it yeah. about you? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's yeah. causing you to hate me. Yeah, is it? Yeah, it's, it's sometimes incomprehensible how people can form these hardened uh, places in their heart and not be able to uh, understand or have access to other people's experiences, other people's impressions, and that the importance of bridging those gaps, kind of even especially in children, uh, to be able to you know p- pave the pathway for them to continue along a, a more compassionate road. Exactly. Compassion yeah. is an important word, yeah. right? And I think, again, yeah. children are born with that. I think they're yeah. just, you know, they, they can be hell raisers too. Let's yeah. not get it twisted. <laughs> yeah. But they definitely have that capacity to love. I, You know, you never see a little kid be, oh, I can't talk to that person <laughs> there, yeah. right? Unless they've been taught that. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah, I think that's that's important. Like, for any people who write, just, you know, just just do it like our lives depend on it because I think they do. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we'll conclude the uh, interview with just, uh, you know, where can we find out more about you? Ekretalegas.com? Yes, okay, yeah. www.ekeretalie.com. Great, great. Thanks so much. And, uh, thank you. I really appreciate you being here. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You just finished listening to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan. You can follow me on Facebook at VGR Nathan Poet. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Truth to Power Show. That's Truth 2 with number 2 Power Show. I also had an appearance on Bushwick Junction, a show that 
airs on Sundays at 4 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn, wherein I talked about the products of my life thus far and in a series of junctions or decision-making processes over the course of my life. So please uh, listen in on the rebroadcast on Friday, December 15th at 3 p.m. Um, or you can stay, stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Bushwick Junction on Sundays at 4 p.m. So thank you very much for listening, and I hope to uh, hope to have you as a listener in future episodes. We, we are every Thursday at 9 a.m. Thanks so much. Right.